InfoWars. Tomorrow's news today. We knew if we told the truth, they'd come after us. We knew if we stood up to them, they'd try to destroy us. We're now at that point in late 2018. So whatever you do, folks, dump your PayPal wallets at InfoWarsStore.com. Get great products, but bet on the First Amendment and bet on America because I'm betting on you. And then cancel PayPal. George Soros owns it now. And let that Nazi collaborator piece of crap know. He may have been able to kill a bunch of innocent Europeans, but that old son of a bitch has met his match in America. So fuck you, Soros. I knew if I reported the truth that the fake news media covers up day in, day out, they come after me. But InfoWars is bigger than Alex Jones. InfoWars is a movement of millions rising up together to take back what is ours from the masters of society. InfoWars is the real movement that abolishes the present state of things. It is a ruthless critique of everything existing. Now I want all of you at home to listen closely because I've uncovered some documents. Oh boy, do I have documents. And they're all coded. They're coded. Listen to this mind-blowing communication I received through the transdimensional dilation of time through ancestral DNA and critical theory. This comes directly from Info Warrior Theodore Adorno, and I quote, The tendency to occultism is a symptom of regression and consciousness. The veiled tendency of society towards disaster lulls its victims into a false revelation with a hallucinated phenomenon. In vain, they hope in its fragmented blatancy to look their total doom in the eye and withstand it. The awful of the phenomenal world becomes to sick consciousness the mundus intelligentless. That's right, people. Disaster, crisis, doom, and sickness. This is what we face today. You see, there's something they don't want you to know about this sick society we live in. Our creative powers are being alienated from us through a system of abstract domination mediated by the law of value that appears to operate as the law of nature. This demonic force is a cultic fetish that makes the existence of the things qua commodities and the value relation between the products of labor, which stamps them as commodities, to have absolutely no connection with their physical properties and with the material relations right in their front. There is it. It is a definite social relation between people that assumes, in their eyes, the fantastic form of a relation between things. Ah. This commodity fetishism is the evil form of appearance of the dark energy of capital over all of us. It sucks on living labor like a vampire and lives more the more it sucks your vital life blood. We must come together, people, to expose and destroy this global system of domination and exploitation. And this is why we are proud to introduce a new supplement we created with new partners. For just $322, you get a trial order of Dr. Antifada's Brain Bob exclusively from InfoWars.com. This nootropic is guaranteed to cure impotence, adenoid diphtheria, chronic gorilla mind mocks, and Russian derangement syndrome. Order today to keep our movement against the forces of darkness alive. Hello and welcome to the Antifada, where unrest is best. I'm Jamie Peck. I am Sean KB. And I'm AP Andy. And we are here with a very special guest today, writer, researcher, PhD candidate in the social psychology program at the CUNY Grad Center, 
Tanzim, aka Tans. How you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? All right. We're we're all right. Um, all right. So we got a lot to go through today. I'm gonna jump right in with our icebreaker question, and that question is, Tans, how pure is your hate today? <laughs> My hate is always pure. Hell yeah. That's the mindset. <laughs> a lot of hateful guests on this show. We had one loving guest last week. David Cleon was a sweetheart. Yeah, yeah. but those people are boring. <laughs> he he learned by the end. Yeah. He, <laughs> he got, got in the mindset. Yeah, he did. We we brought him there. Yeah, I mean, I think my hate is like, you know, it's all right today. It's not as pure as usual. I'm very tired, so that makes me more cranky. Mm. But uh reading about these conspiracy theories just uh it, it got me up and going, so hopefully that will happen again it's when like, we discuss them. It's like a strong cup of coffee. You didn't know about the New World Order? Oh, I mean, I knew some some about it, but I know a lot more now that I, I have been possessed by the spirit of Alex Jones. So there we go. <laughs> she does constantly play that ministry song in the apartment at all times. Now she understands. Yeah. So, uh, Tance, mm -hmm. I figure we should start out by getting a little bit of your story, your background, uh, how you got into leftist politics, mm. et cetera, because as I understand it, you are currently a communist. Yeah, how did I get into leftist politics? Oh, um, I hate this question. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. Um, Ease your way into it. But, I mean, I guess, like, growing up, my father was, like, really... My dad is crazy. My whole family is crazy. But my dad especially. And so... My dad was always, like, ranting about politics in the house. Always something, right? And so my dad is not, like, a communist. My dad thinks, like, communism is shit, capitalism is shit. He just hates everything. He's like, everything, this is all trash. Like George Carlin. Um, yeah, kind of like <laughs> that, but not as cool. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so, but, you know, he would always rant about something happening. And <clears throat> the way he always frames stuff is that the West is bad. America is bad. Europe is bad. All these places are shit. We live here because where the hell else are we going to go? Um, and his thing, my whole family thing was always, you know, you might live here, but don't end up like these people. Ooh. So um, there was kind of like, that was like my introduction into any kind of like political stuff. And so um, I remember, funny story. I remember when I was in the fourth grade, maybe, um, I came home talking about something having to do with Thanksgiving and Native American, something like that. And my dad was like, your teacher's lying to you. Sit down. Let me tell you what really happened. And he <laughs> went through this crazy. He, well, I mean, he told me the truth, right? He was like, oh, Columbus. That's what we were talking all about right, in school. Right. And I came home talking about this. And my father was like, that's bullshit. Columbus is a murderer. Let me break everything down for you. So then I went to school the next day and regurgitated all of that <laughs> <laughs> to everyone. Nice. <laughs> so this is kind of like how, you know, um, I first began to really, or, or not really, but just my first like sort of introduction to anything political was through, through family, through my father, really. And it was a purely sort of negative critique of like everything. Of, so you had to find something sort yeah. of positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, the only thing positive, no, my father knew what was positive. Okay. What was positive was Islam. Just follow Islam. Just um, go to the masjid and pray and do what you got to do and all these things. And I was always kind of like, meh, that doesn't really do it for me. Um, so, you know, uh, and then, I mean, there was always something to talk about political, right? Um, and I, I was really into this too because the thing is like, I don't know, like growing up poor, I was just like, this shit is fucked up. Like, I know something's wrong here. Um, and so my, my mom, she was a nanny. And when I was really little, 
Um, I used to go with her when she would nanny for these really, really rich white people. And I saw the things they had and I was like, I don't have this. This is crazy. Um, and eventually when I was around like seven or eight, the families didn't want me to come anymore because they were like, you're just going to focus on your daughter and not our children. And we need you to here to take care of our kids. So I wasn't allowed to go anymore. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, so it was like a combination of like so many different things. So then, Oh, Cuba. Cuba was big in my life. My dad mm. loved Cuba. Hmm. Interesting. Um, he loved Che. He loved Fidel. He loved all this stuff. So when I was 11, he bought me a book about Cuba. It was like a kid's book, kind of breaking down the Cuban revolution and what it was about. And I didn't know what the hell communism really was at that point, but I was like, I guess I'm communist because I like Cuba. So I just kind of <laughs> went through life saying this. Like at high school, I was like, yeah, I'm communist. And everybody was just like, what the hell are you talking about right now? <laughs> and so... Um, you know, this is when I first started saying I was communist. And, you know, later on, like, uh, as I got older, the end of high school, into college, I I knew, I understood capitalism was fucked up. Um, and, I that just, like, I didn't know, like, all the jargon. I didn't have all the words. But I knew that shit was fucked up. And so I would, you know, I was always talking about this. And it wasn't until I was about, who was the first group I came in contact with? I hope it was a Spartacus the, because I'm a member. It was the RCP. Ah, oh, those bastards. The RCP. So we I got a real hard on for them. We hate the RCP. Yeah, they're fucking crazy. They got a good street game though. I met them, them when I was probably about 19 or 20, because I went. They were doing an event where it was um a conversation between Carl Dix, who's one of their members and or part of their leadership or whatever, and what's his name, uh. Cornell West. Ah, yes. And so I dragged, (laughs) I dragged my boyfriend who is not political, who was not at the time, who was not political at all. to this, to this talk. And I was like, we're going to this shit. And he was like, woman, like, what are we doing here? So we get there and the talk was good. And at the time, and this is before I knew anything else about the RCP. Right. So all I'm seeing of the RCP is Carl Dix talking and he's saying all these things that make a lot of sense. And I'm like, yeah. And then Cornell West, who's like the liberal, I was like, fuck this. I was like, this is fucking stupid. My ex was like, what do you mean? That dude is crazy. I like Cornell West. So we had this argument and as we're leaving, you know, we're leaving the event and the RCP just like at their events they just descend on you and it's like craziest with newspapers and I'm like I was like son no what is this and I was so turned off and I was like why are these people so fucking weird and I just remember this one old lady who came up to me with a newspaper and she was like the revolution is here we have a leader (laughs) and I was like yo I can't so that was like my Bob Avakian didn't turn you into a full-fledged communist with his new synthesis right shocking and and actually so that first event that I went to, I actually bought their DVD where it's like Bob Avakian like talking about like whatever the fuck he taught. <laughs> Just like him ranting for like two hours. Yeah. Um, He's like Fidel Castro. He can go on for like 12 right? hours. Right? And so I was just kind of like, these people are fucking nuts. Like I like... I think I like communism. I was like, look, I like Cuba. That's what I know. <laughs> and these people, I think they like Cuba, but they're crazy. And so I was like totally turned off from like these groups you know um the second group i came in contact with was the psl mm-hmm. another maoist group another psych- psychotic group mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um they're also nuts and the thing about the psl i met them i went to like a protest and i saw them and they're just kind of like they swarm like they see young people i think particularly young people of color mm-hmm. they love young mm-hmm. people of color R- rcp does too but yeah yeah yeah, yeah psl definitely but it's just like so any young person of color at a protest or at anything, they just swarm and then 
I don't know. The huge, or I was at an event. It was an event done by a group. It was a pro-Palestinian group called Existence is Resistance. That's where I met them. Um, and Existence is Resistance, you know, they're cool. I like them. They're not crazies like the PSL, but they hang out with the PSL. And the PSL is up in it. And I'm just like, ugh. So when I first met them, they didn't tell me they were a group. It was just a couple of individual people that started talking to me. And I did find them very strange because I was like, you guys are like awkward on another level. Like, I don't know how to have a conversation with you. But they were nice. And I was like, oh, all right. So then they like a couple of them wanted to hang out with me. They'll be like, let's get a drink. Let's get food. Let's go to the beach. I was like, OK, I guess I like doing these things. So I will do it with you. They were um, there on that long gang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember. So it was a. we went out to dinner. We went to Ethiopian spot and we're talking. And at this point, I didn't know shit about like ex- I didn't know exactly what their politics were. I was I didn't know they were a Maoist group. I didn't know even know what the hell that meant at the time. So I'm sitting here and we're eating food and they start talking about Stalin. And I'm just like so confused because I'm like in my head, I'm like, wait, why do they like Stalin? Because I thought he was crazy. Um, so finally, I was Good like, question. yeah, I was like, guys, wasn't Stalin like a mass murderer? And they were like imperialist propaganda <laughs> and i was just like whoa okay oh, so you're nuts too it's too so, bad you didn't get the stalinist children's book instead of the castro yeah story. right yeah well, i mean although i don't know what the real difference is between the two but anyway <laughs> um you could have but, been a tanky earlier i think is the point uh, yeah right <laughs> um no but i was just like wow no okay these people are clearly nuts too so then i stopped hanging out with them and when i i went to grad school when i was like 25 i went to the new school big mistake never go to the new unless you're a rich person whose parents can pay for that shit don't go to the new school because they will give you no money and you will take out a shit ton of loans and then you will want to die because life will suck i am in so much debt but anyway none of us will ever go to the new school no it would never happen horrible horrible i wish i knew someone to warn me before (laughs) i would not have made that mistake but anyway so you know i'm i'm in grad school and i wanted i kind of had like i knew capitalism was bad again i knew i liked cuba but i didn't know like every like i didn't know like all this stuff you know like all that politics encompasses and so i was just kind of like look i want to do shit you know what do you how do you do stuff and so i met this chick who was in who went to the new school and she was like a part of she had lived in venezuela and she was really into venezuela and i was like all right that's cool i guess i mean i know my dad likes venezuela so whatever you know and she introduced me to these other leftists that she knew who happened to be, I think, anarchists. Um, and I found them to be strange, too, because I was like, why? I do sense you- a pattern here. It's almost like leftists yeah. uh, have some sort mm-hmm. of social uh, awkwardness. Know, I don't yeah, know. But I was just like, you all smell so bad. Like, even if you <laughs> even if I agree with what you're saying, like, I can't stand next to you. Because <laughs> I was like, come on, like deodorant, people, soap and water. We're in the first world. So anyway, crime thing for children. So, that <laughs> so, so I met them. This and that's why I, you never came to my parties. Like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> now you know the truth. Um, no, but, I, you know, and I was like, all right, look, I was like, I just want to do some shit. And. I met some people that were doing something around a community garden. And to be quite honest with you, I don't give a fuck about a community garden. But I was like, all right, like, I guess this is a thing that I can sort of do. People got arrested over this damn community garden. Like, whatever. This was kind of like my first real thing, like, doing with a group of people, I guess. I guess you could call it organizing. And this was in uh, New York City? This was in the Bronx, yeah. All right. It was in the Bronx. From your accent, I was going to guess you were from Connecticut, but Bronx yeah. makes sense. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> um, Jamie says as a, as a Connecticut cutter. Oh, really? 
Where are you from in Connecticut? West Hartford. I don't even. Oh, I know Hartford. Regular Hartford is that? It's, it's West of Hartford. West of Hartford. <laughs> yeah. It's not just a clever uh, name. It's literally um, just like a fucking flyover state, decaf New England. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. No, but I used to go. Sorry, we're getting off topic, but I used to go to um, Bridgeport. When I was yes. in college, I used to go there for parties. Let me tell you something. Bridgeport, fucking Connecticut, is where you will die if you go. It was the uh, stabbing I, capital of the country. And I believe it. I fucking believe it. I remember I went to a party with my ex in college. We get out the car. This is the first time I'm going to fucking Bridgeport, Connecticut. I was like, what the fuck is in Connecticut? <laughs> so we get there. We get out the car and immediately my stomach sank. And I was like, I'm, I will die here because this is the hoodest hood I've ever seen in my life. And I've never been scared to be anywhere. <laughs> but I was I found myself scared in Bridgeport, Connecticut. That's yeah, because it's a it's a weird, bad combo of like inner city and nothing around it mm-hmm, for mm-hmm, miles. That's mm-hmm. the like, weird thing about like New York City too, is that we let me put it this way. Like I I've been to Newburgh, New York. Have you ever been to Newburgh? Oh, in uh the Central Upstate up, a bit. What yeah. is it? The Hudson Valley. Hudson Valley. I've I had the it. same feeling. I almost yeah. got rolled there. Like I haven't oh, been shit. rolled in New York City. Like yeah. I've had to run a couple times, yeah, but like yeah. this was only a, like a year or so ago. Yeah. And Newburgh sketched me out way more than anywhere in the Bronx yeah, or Brooklyn. Yeah, that doesn't you know? surprise me because it's just nothing. Like what you were saying about Bridgeport is like the hood with nothing there. Like literally nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. It just I don't know. So Bridgeport. I mean, I got to like Bridgeport later because there was cool people there and the parties were good. But that's my that's my knowledge of Connecticut. Yeah, like yeah. these um, hollowed out post-industrial towns. Yeah. Right. Be quite desolate. And, yeah. 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 And to all the listeners from Newburgh, New York out there, um, I don't know enough about your town to really uh, be able to judge it. So do not stop listening to the show because I said Newburgh is scary. We still love you, Newburgh. We, I'm from <laughs> Connecticut. Shout out I'm allowed to say these things. <laughs> I am not from Newburgh, so I can't say shit. I'm also not in the Spartacus League, by the way. That was a joke it's oh. a running joke we have on the show I don't we really... don't want any <laughs> listeners to misunderstand you like they did when you uh, were talking shit on bike lanes yes. okay i don't I'm know like really that's the my, thing that the chapo my... <laughs> fans found problematic sometimes my sense of humor and irony doesn't really come through i don't well, know anything about spartacus i just know a lot of people on the left don't like them they're like i, don't they, know I think like like if i can kind of take your your story and mm-hmm. and boil it down a bit um, the Spartacus are, I think, similar to the RCP and the PSL in mm-hmm. that they show up to a lot of shit. They have newspapers. They love to recruit people, right? But you were just getting to an, an example of actual organizing, right? Uh-huh. Which is something that these people, I'm not saying they don't do anything, mm-hmm. but they like a grassroots campaign around a uh, mm-hmm. green space in the Bronx, right? Might not be their, their yeah, main yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to say I'm at a place where I don't think anybody does anything. I don't care what you say you do. I don't care what group you're in. I really am just like, fuck everybody you do nothing we did nothing this is really how i feel at this point but yeah so we did this stupid community garden shit for like a hot second and then i moved on because i don't care about a community garden um but we ended up um basically it was about nine of us i believe um so it was around the time of occupy When Mm. Occupy happened, we started, you know, there was all the little Occupies in different neighborhoods and stuff in different boroughs. And so there was Occupy the Bronx. And so everybody who did any kind of anything ever in the Bronx went to this. And it was just a fucking shit show because we're standing in a circle in the middle of the Bronx doing fucking retarded hand signals. (laughs) And I don't what the fuck were we really thinking? But anyway, so from there. Um, a group of like nine of us decided we're going to start doing stuff around policing. Um, so we formed a group called Take Back the Bronx. We started doing anti-policing stuff. And this was around the same time that Romali Graham was murdered in the Bronx. So we got sort of involved in that struggle. Um, we went to a couple things with the family. Uh, you know, we didn't we didn't do a lot of work alongside the family. I mean, we were doing more like police violence in general type stuff. Um, 
But so it was at that time, and it was also around the same time that a young man named Jatik Reed was uh, beaten by the cops brutally. Um, I believe he was like 17 at the time. This is like a kid, you know, and um, as the story goes, like these same cops would harass him and his friends all the time. And one day, five cops stomped him out in front of his, I believe it was in front of his building. Um, Almost like an Eric Garner type situation, except that he didn't actually get killed by the police. Right, right. Um, and, and then he got arrested and then his mother and his brother went to the police station to be like, what the hell is going on? And then they arrested them. Jesus Christ. Um, and Just so, like the dude who took the video of the Eric Yeah, Garner yeah, thing. yeah. He's the only one that went to jail for the fucking Ramsey thing. Ramsey Orta is the only yeah. one that's been locked up. It's, yeah. yeah. And, you know, if this is not retaliation, then I don't fucking know what is. But Deadass. So, you know, we kind of, we got involved around that stuff. Um, and from there, we just were like, you know what, like anti-policing stuff right now is the work that we're doing um so we started doing more work in the bronx around the neighborhood where ramali graham was murdered um and we would do these things called no cop zones we would take a block we would plug into a bodega and we would have speakers play music have a dj and we would just we had an open mic we called it the people's uh, what was it yeah the people's mic or some shit like that we were like you know just come up and say whatever you want about the cops so sometimes people would come and they would share a story about something that happened to them with the police sometimes people would come and they would be like you know i just want to say fuck the cops and you know whatever they wanted to say so it was um and what did we have oh we put up a little sign that would say no cop zone which obviously is not a no cop zone but we like to pretend they um, know better yeah they know <laughs> better. Those pigs know better no cop so zone. i could honestly listen to you talk about this stuff all day long <laughs> but uh i would like to get into the meat of the episode yes, which yes. is conspiracy theories and i just mm-hmm. want to like introduce this because we're going to talk about it later brief in brief uh tins wrote a very cool what do we call it pamphlet yeah tracked. along with like a bunch of other people yes not just co-authored we all know good yeah. people friends of the show called uh to over- overthrowing the illuminati yeah about uh conspiracy theories mm-hmm. and um kind of connecting them up mm-hmm. to a systemic analysis of what's really wrong with the world mm-hmm. so um we're gonna talk we have some questions for you about mm-hmm, that in mm-hmm. a minute um and the really well, cool thing about the zine is it's just got the pyramid eye on the cover it yeah. says how to overcome the illuminati or something so yeah. it's geared towards people who are primed to accept that which is right. in, just incredibly popular um mm-hmm. and you know the in the inner city yeah. it's, in general people believe in the illuminati mm-hmm. they want to know what it is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this uh zine might throw them for a little bit of a loop that's the right scene, the scene might just tell them and in uh preparation for the show you know because i work a lot I, I got a new job recently for yeah. a really scumbag outfit they really running me uh like crazy mm-hmm. so i had a tough work week adjusting to that but then i had the nice calming um experience of going with jamie through i'd say at least a dozen hours of the most insane conspiracy shit. Not just Illuminati, but we had 33rd degree Freemasons. Yeah. We had Bilderberg. We had the Trilateral Commission. We had 9-11 Truth. We had goddamn Flat Earth. Don't forget yeah. the Flat oh, Earthers. Flat oh, Earthers. I've been watching these Never videos. forget oh, the Flat Earthers. Oh, my God. The Flat Why? Earthers. That's like the... Oh, we're going to get to the Flat Earthers. But ultimately, you know, at the end, it was a very calming and, you know, mm-hmm. ser- serene experience. And I think now... I think we are ready to raise Thule and uh, complete the system of German idealism. So let's get into this conspiracy stuff. So in conspiracy theory news, the deplatforming of Alex Jones and Infowars continues. Now, we give him a platform on our show, of course, because he seems to have taken a turn towards the value form. But uh, recent news is that PayPal has now taken him off 
so he can no longer get money through that network. He is very unhappy about that. So this was really the downfall for Jones is that he went too far and uh, really caused havoc in people's lives with his weird conspiracy theories. So, you know... He didn't start there, right? He had 9-11 conspiracy oh, sure. theories. Yeah. Like, that's when... Okay, I interviewed his ex-wife, Kelly Jones, for a story that is stuck in legal limbo at the moment, but... Uh, she said, you know, one of the moments where she was like, oh, shit, this guy's crazy was after 9-11. You know, everyone was like on their porches with candles in Austin. And he's like spouting all this crazy nonsense about it. And she's like, that's not good. So you talked to Alex Jones' ex-wife. Are we going to read about that? At any I point? did indeed. Uh, well, I'm a little bit annoyed right now, actually, because I was assigned this article. And then uh, it's just... It's very complicated, as as you can probably imagine, um, the amount of legal shit that they're in with one another right now. And considering how litigious Alex Jones is, it's like, mm, maybe wasn't maybe maybe we all bit off more than we could chew on this one. But the one point I want to make, because he really likes to complain about freedom of speech and being deplatformed. But uh, I mean, as if it wasn't clear already that these complaints are a little disingenuous coming from these people and do not apply across the board. He has filed multiple lawsuits, among other things, to try to keep his ex-wife quiet about the details of the case, their marriage, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe doesn't care about freedom of speech for her. And as we're going to see in this next clip, he really he likes to talk about child abuse quite a bit. But um multiple uh, court, uh, what, what you would call it, experts, therapists, whatever, um, have said, and Kelly Jones is claiming, which I believe that he has, um, he's done a thing called parental alienation, where when two parents are going through a high conflict divorce, one parent alienates the children from the other one and like deliberately poisons them against the other parent. And that is obviously very bad for the kids. So I just want everyone to keep that in mind when we listen to this next clip where Alex Jones is railing about protecting children. Okay, so this is the David Icke Explains Reptilians to Alex Jones clip. Okay, let me just keep an open mind here. I read Genesis and it talks about God destroying the life on the earth because these entities had come in and destroyed the genetics or the seed and only Noah was perfect in his genetic generations. Then I read that and every other culture says similar things. Then I look at the elite who are at, at the Great Pyramid today trying to, you know, get its energy. They're, they're into this stuff. They at least believe it. Then I think about Christians. They say demons are these fallen entities that are here on the earth, but you can't see them, and they love pain and destruction, and that they're there trying to screw up our lives. Uh, you're just saying that's real, basically, because, because you're saying reptoids, but you're saying they're interdimensional. So that's basically what the Christians say. Basically. Yeah, this is an interesting point, uh, Alex, and a very important one, because, you know, I've been saying this for so long over the years. I didn't learn that in so Sunday school. So many people are arguing with each other. Well, when you break it down, the fundamentals are the same. What Christians call fallen angels, uh, the Nephilim, uh, the, the demons, are, are, what, are what the uh, Muslims call the jinn. Um, and, and, and the Jews have their own names for it as well. And it's what I call the reptilians or, or, or the, the, the non-human entities, the interdimensional entities. And, and when you look at um, the story in the Garden of Eden, I mean, it's a symbolic story which can be found in other cultures all around the world. Just, do people really think that the snake in the Garden of Eden was a snake? The, 
That's crazy. And this interdimensional reptilian. I was watching a, a series on the History Channel uh, only this very week, um, which is called um, Ancient Aliens. The series. Wow. Oh, yeah. wow. yeah. It was all about the evidence. Um, which I've been putting out for all these years, Evidence. of the fact that they, there were non-human entities talked about in all the ancient cultures, but interbred with humans, creating a hybrid bloodline. Mm -hmm. These, these uh, Christians out there, these are the sons of God who interbred with the daughters of men. It's, it's, it comes up everywhere. everywhere. And, and these um, uh, entities are, 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 are therefore possessable because there is a greater genetic and vibrational frequency compatibility between the possessing entity and the possessed hybrid bloodline. Story and what out. happens is that these, uh, these, these pedophiles, and it's in the genetics, uh, it's in the genetics, they are attracted to sex with children everywhere. What about you my know, instinct to want to... the lid and the sure. cesspit is staggering. Well, that's what I was about. What about my instinct? Every bone in my body wants to beat these people's brains out. I mean, I have to control myself. Uh, and I don't know why others don't have the instinct to want to go after these people, whoever, whatever. And I remember you. This uh, is a man who abused his wife in front of yeah. his kids, in front of their three kids, and by they, the way. Mostly emotional, some physical. That's what she's alleging anyway. Please don't sue us, Alex Jones. So if you notice what Alex Jones did there at the end, and this is connected to the Sandy Hook thing, it was a very, very slick incitement to violence because he basically says like, I can control myself, but I can understand how people go out there and start killing these pedophiles. And that's dangerous, right? That is dangerous speech. I don't, I, I'm not a free speech absolutist, or maybe I am. I don't know. What do you feel about this, babe? Oh, well, I mean, the standard generally for freedom of speech is, you know, don't yell fire in a crowded theater, right? You don't say something that's directly inciting to violence. And I think this really does walk that line, especially when you consider a guy actually did show up with a gun to combat ping pong. So there's that aspect of it. I mean, I, I will say I'm a little bit divided because I tend to be a free speech absolutist. But um, and, and like I know that typically, historically speaking, when the government starts or not, not just the government, right? YouTube is not the government, but like in this case, the private companies that control our entire communications infrastructure, which does have the ability to restrict speech as well, in my opinion. Um, historically, you know, powerful actors have restricted the speech of the left, of the far left, more than the right and conspiracy theorists. But I also know that, like, that's not a norm that anybody respects. And just because they're uh, restricting speech on one side doesn't mean they're going to treat the other side the same way. Mm -hmm. So in, in a certain sense, like, at what point do the ends justify the means? You know, if Alex Jones, if the far right is deplatformed for any amount of time before we are, maybe we should use that opening to our advantage. I don't know. What do you think, Tans? Or anyone? I have no problem with Alex Jones being deplatformed. You know, the question of free speech, I had an argument with some psychopath in a bar once. I don't know why all the crazies like me, <laughs> but, you know, we're sitting here and he's, some white lawyer guy from and he's probably from like brooklyn or some shit and he's just like yeah you know we can we can agree to disagree about politics but you know as long as you believe in free speech and i was like yeah but like not for nazis and he went off oh i bet off because to him he's no that's like i'm talking about red in the face spitting just crazy i was like whoa you're nuts but you know like no you can't say certain shit i don't give a fuck nazis 
No, you can't talk. Idiots like Alex Jones, you can't talk. I'm about to tell flat earthers to shut the fuck up too because what, like, what are you people doing? Yo, dead fucking ass. In the course of our research, Jamie and I watched a fucking hour and six minute long video. We'll play a clip later about mm-hmm. these flat earth people. Mm-hmm. And both of us became fucking tankies watching that shit. Mm-hmm. We became round earth tankies watching this yeah. video. We're like, fuck these people. They cannot fucking say these yeah. words. You're a couple it, of globe cocks. <laughs> I guess we are globe cocks. <laughs> but yeah, like on this point of the deplatforming thing, I mean, it, it's a very abstract thing and I do believe that there is some sort of danger in like this Mm -hmm. tendency to try to shut these folks down that said though if you go on youtube as we did and you put in these keywords like you know alex jones or like uh, reptilians or ancient aliens or like pedophilic cultural or uh, cultic sacrifice and shit like that you still come up with like tons of videos Mm -hmm. when i was trying to like find all these different crazy conspiracy theories they're so like you punch in to youtube and you can find a thousand fucking videos about it so it's nice i suppose that they're shutting down alex jones as like one person with a big platform but it doesn't change the fact that this conspiracy culture is huge and everywhere still on youtube Mm -hmm. still on even the airwaves with am radio right Andy, you said coast what coast to coast radio yeah, Coast to Coast has conspiracy theories on it. I mean, I, I don't think this stuff should be shut down, um, but Alex Jones is particularly vile in terms of how he um, manipulates and lies. And, and also, he doesn't believe in any of this stuff. This is like something that's a big difference between right. him and Ike. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Ike is a believer. Uh, but you can find audio of Alex Jones in, in the late 90s saying that Vladimir Putin is invading the United States right now. And we have to, all the patriots need to to take up arms and defend their country just to make a name for himself. Um, and then with each subsequent like U.S. era, he finds a new uh, little niche for himself. So he was kind of like an anti-authoritarian in the 2000s with the 9-11 stuff and being against the police state. Like, yeah, the idea that's kind of how he got his start. Comes out of this idea. But now he loves the prison planet. Right. He loves this, the police state. Right. Um, well, his wife, his ex-wife said um, he kind of got his start. He was like a civil liberties guy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a libertarian, I would say. And she considers herself that as well, which is its own thing. But like he got into he was always into some conspiracy theories and then he got more and more into it around 9 11 and then but he was never partisan for the for either party Mm -hmm. until roger stone came on the scene at which point he became a mouthpiece for this uh this right-wing populist movement as manifested by trump now and for folks who don't know, Roger Stone is the dirty trickster that goes back to Nixon, a Republican operative, a really sketchy guy, uh, and he's now involved with Trump and Alex Jones all the time. Andy, you want to say something about the backstory of uh, David Icke? Well, well, Alex Jones was always pretty right-wing. Like, uh, He would always uh, couch his anti-authoritarianism and these conspiracy theories about abortion and the, the elite are trying to depopulate the world by you know two-thirds and uh, certainly always very anti-immigrant. Uh, but at the same time, he would be opposed to things like I-69, which is like this highway that was going from Mexico to Canada that's still under construction. Mm-hmm. Um, the left opposed it because it would be bad for labor unions. It would make it easier to uh, bypass unionized ports. Mm-hmm. Um, but Alex Jones opposed it because he thought that we we're going to have a North American union. We're going to have like one. Uh, it, was, it was all part of the NWO the for him. The Amero but, uh, currency, right? Right. But yeah. there was a point when the left and the like Alex Jones libertarian right had this commonality and they 
some people would overlook the anti-immigration, anti-woman sentiments, but they're always there. Mm. Yeah. Well, he's completely sold out his uh, libertarian past and uh, viewership at this point in time, seeing as he's basically functioning as a propaganda mouthpiece for the Trump administration. Also, for what it's worth, she's his ex-wife, probably has a bone to pick. She thinks that he believes all of it and mm. that he's even she told me he's even like crazier and weirder in real life than he is on the show. So well, take that for what it's worth. We'll never know because I hope never to be in a room with Alex Jones. I think that uh. dark energy might fucking wear off on me. So, so speaking of believing it, David Icke, ah, I yes. think, does believe it. And his backstory True is believing. hilarious because he was a uh, a soccer player, a footballer. A hooligan. I don't know what team he was on, but uh uh, in his post career, uh, he used a celebrity uh, uh, to to be part of the Green Party in England, um, and he was, I believe, the spokesperson for the Green Party. Um, and uh, this is unbelievable today, but some people in the Green Party are kind of wing nutty. No way. Uh, and they and, and he was seeing a psychic, and the psychic was just telling him progressively weirder <laughs> things, having him meditate and hallucinate and stuff. And one day, um, he held a press conference for the Green Party. Um, unexpectedly, and he said that uh, the world is controlled by intergalactic lizard people that are uh, sucking our blood and harvesting our misery, um, and that led to his current career, and somehow he has tons of followers. Just This, this message speaks to a certain kind of, of person that are just ready to believe it, and if you read his books, which are sold in Barnes and Nobles mm. and all across the country, by the way, um, if you go to the conspiracy theory section, that's what you'll find is this conspiracy theory mm-hmm. are nonsense. Like anyone with a little bit of critical thought, uh, anyone who doesn't want to believe this would not believe it. Yeah, I think um, so that actually ties to the point that you were making. Right. When you go, you can ban all these people. But when you go online, you're still going to find this stuff. And I mean, the problem is, is that in this country, we have been so dumbed down just by the fact that like we schools don't teach critical thinking. We don't learn this. And I see it in my students. And it's that my students, I love my students, right? Um, they And they're smart. But the critical thought sometimes is just like something is disconnecting. And I'm like, you're capable of this. But why have we not taught you this? And I think, unfortunately. Is undergrads that you're teaching? Undergrads, yeah. Mm. And I think, unfortunately, this is a trend across the country. And, you know, I will say some of these conspiracy theories I believed growing up, you know, um, and I'm not dumb, but when you're trying to make sense of the world and you don't have all the information in front of you and you don't understand how systems work because nobody has ever broken this down to you or talked you through it or done any of these things with you, you're just like left out there to sort of weed through all this mess and you got to pick the thing that makes the most sense. Exactly. And what's out there and what's available right yeah. now. It's not Marxist theory. It's not right. anarchist thought. It's this shit that's on YouTube and all over the place. Yeah. I want to take what you said and actually go one step further with it because I used to teach apprentices in the yeah. trades before. And it wasn't even just that like this stuff was all over the place, this mm-hmm. conspiracy type thought. It was actually that I think by and large the smartest of all the students were the ones that were most likely to get into this shit mm-hmm. because yeah, that's they, something you say in your pamphlet too, right? Yeah. yeah they yeah, were yeah. right. Like you say, like they, they were the people that had this sense that there was something fucked up with the world right. and they were searching for it. And what they found again was not like a systemic critique of things. Yeah. What they found was like, I smoked a bunch of weed and I looked at the back of a dollar bill and then yeah. I went on YouTube and I found the flat earth shit, right. but they're smart. They're smart kids. Yeah. You know, they just don't have the, correct critical capacities or maybe we're not doing enough right now in order to you know put out 
our ideas well, and our yeah like, exactly you know like what what is it that you get when you look up stuff on youtube and this is where everybody goes you know where this really i think came into the mainstream for me when i was younger was after september 11th mm-hmm. and if people remember the 9-11 truthers they're still out there but yeah. they used to be in the streets and they used to actually show up at you know real left events like when i go see chomsky mm-hmm. or go to some protest or whatever with their banners and be haranguing people and mm-hmm. fucking intervening and talking about the melting point of steel and controlled demolition and all this Mm -hmm. shit. And I think that was a very important moment because it showed how little understanding and critical thought there was left Mm -hmm. in the country because Mm -hmm. 9-11 as a conspiracy theory kind of picked up from this vacuum of, you know, the post-Cold War period when, you know, there was the WTO anti-globalization movement, right? But that kind of even lacked a systemic critique too. So you had these people mostly young men who were just obsessed with this question and it was always a question there was nothing behind the question it was we're just asking if questions you're just asking questions then you don't need any proof right mm-hmm. exactly and mm-hmm. they would they they just torture the data until like the data gave up you know yeah. and they'd cherry pick this that and the other thing but they were so i, I don't know they infected so much the left mm-hmm. you know all the way up i think until 2008 mm-hmm. uh because there was that real vacuum there mm-hmm. and 9-11 truth was a way to interpret the world that made sense of all the crazy shit that was happening mm-hmm. especially when the iraq war comes along yeah. you know no blood for oil mm-hmm. and wmd and all that stuff so i think that was a really really pernicious thing and it's still around a bit but i think it's more on YouTube now. I think people have moved on to more Illuminati, mm. Bilderberg, mm-hmm. sort of pedophile ring type conspiracy theories at this point. Yeah, I think um, definitely the 9-11 stuff, like, I know I believed it because part of it was like an acknowledgement of the fact that like something systemic is wrong, right? Like there is some fucked up people who are doing some fucked up shit, but it's just like the the target, what what you see as the answer to that or where that, that ends up is, is what's... Um, incorrect you know um but yeah i think sorry i'm just gonna share this little story where 9 11 happened i was 16 years old and i was in school and they called us into the cafeteria and they were like they basically showed it on like a freaking tv and so we're sitting here watching this and i was like what the fuck is i was first of all i was like oh shit this is gonna be bad because people are gonna hate Muslims. Like this is gonna be very bad, and the mm-hmm. backlash was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seat cab drivers were getting the shit kicked yeah. out of them all the time. Oh, not even that, Muslim. Not even Muslim. I'm just like Jesus. Like really? Could you at least get your racism right? right yeah. Fuck. But um, yeah, I just remember like you know I I called my dad because I was like and I didn't you know at this time like I didn't really see my dad that often, and I called him and he was like stop fucking talking right now. He's like, I'm going to pick you up early. I'm picking you up from school. So I was like, okay. And he picked me up and he put me in the car and he was like, you don't say shit about this. And then he proceeded to go into all these conspiracy theories. So you don't say shit, (laughs) but here's what But here's what really happened. It was the Jews. Right, right. right. This is what he told. He's like, did you know that all the Jews that were working in that building, how come no Jews died? Because they got a phone call the day before not to go to work. I was just... Unfortunately, at 16, you're just like, all right, I guess this is true. But I vacillated between George Bush did it, the Jews did it. And it's like when you when I look back on it now, it's like these two things didn't even make any damn sense like together. But I was saying them right because you're I mean, I was 16, but you want an answer. You don't believe what the government is telling you. You don't believe what mainstream media is telling you because, you know, people are lying to you, but you just don't know what the lie is. 
Well, you're definitely not the only person who's felt that way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe, uh, do you think do you think conspiracy theories have gone more mainstream since 9-11? Mm-hmm. Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Like, what do you think? Well, I was horrified when I started looking into this flat earther shit. Because I'm just like, like, this is another level to me. Like, it's so many people that believe this. And it is, I feel like it is like more of a mainstream thing. Because I, I remember, you know, back in the day, it was like, like, this stuff wasn't everywhere. You know, like, I think you're right. 9-11 really was a, a sort of like a critical moment in all of this. But for most of my life growing up, at least when I was into this, when I was a teenager, it was me and like my four friends sitting here bored talking about different things, but you know, like mm-hmm. looking shit up, like it wasn't everywhere, but now like you just meet so many people who just say the dumbest shit and you're like, Oh wow. Like you really believe this. I'm afraid. That's fair. And it's, the mainstream thing I think is interesting because even off of YouTube, because we're really talking about the fringes and the fringes right. are coming closer to reality. Yeah. So let's not forget that under Obama, and I'm not like standing Obama, he's a fucking war criminal right. and a neoliberal hack. But um, under Obama, the the birtherism thing became a conspiracy that like yeah. not a majority, but a large minority of Americans believed. Yeah. And now even, you know, with Trump, who traffics in conspiracy theories all the fucking time, like mm-hmm. not for nothing, has he been on the Alex Jones show and had Roger Stone working mm-hmm. for him, calls the Mueller inve- investigation a witch hunt and a hoax and whatever. But like Trump was a huge birther. And um, now the liberals themselves have, you know, these sort of vast conspiracy theories about this Russian collusion, you know, where Putin, like we talked about last episode, like personally hacked this stuff. I read something by Jonathan Chait, who's probably the biggest asshole in the entire world. And he was saying that there's a 10 to 20 percent chance that when Donald Trump went to Moscow in 1987 that he was turned by the KGB into a Manchurian candidate. This is in the All fucking right, really? New York magazine. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> we, uh, so this stuff is, uh, it's, it's progressed, I would say. There's been a certain progression, uh, a certain mainstreaming to the point where stuff that used to be extremely fringe is like now just a part of the Republican base right. who voted for Trump. Yeah. Like Alex Jones is tight with him and played a role in his rise for sure, which yeah. is fucking crazy and and not to mention too that it's even more institutional than that because think about how the republicans and the right wing in general gets out of the whole climate change catastrophe that's coming is they literally say that it's a hoax right they say it's a hoax by the climate scientists who are all somehow in collusion just like you know according to the 9-11 truthers you had hundreds of people who for like months were carrying controlled demolition fucking shit into the trade centers with nobody noticing for fucking all this time Mm -hmm. and then you know secretly blew up the thing after the planes crashed whatever Mm -hmm. uh, and then nobody spilled the beans ever since then the idea that climate change is a hoax and all these scientists are lying to get and getting paid off like and there's nobody coming out and being like oh i got paid fucking right. you know a hundred thousand dollars to set to make up this data about carbon dioxide in the atmosphere but also my question with the climate change stuff and also with the again flat earthers my thing is just like uh, like who are the people behind this and what are they getting out of lying to us about this shit like what would anyone be getting out of fucking lying to us about the earth being round well, Listen, and also, <laughs> how would so many people lie? Like, yes. Like yeah. uh, Benjamin Franklin, who, uh, <laughs> if, you're, if you're talking to like a patriotic conspiracy theorist, yeah. you can bring up this quote from Benjamin Franklin, because mm-hmm. they might like that. Uh, Three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. <laughs> for, for 9-11 to have been an inside job, you would have to have 
at least a few hundred people Easy. who would just never say a word yep. about it. Would mm -hmm. die without a confession, a deathbed confession. Well, I think that is a good segue into this uh, next video clip. We've been teasing the fuck out of Flat Earth. Because, you know, you know, <laughs> it's easy to sit here and talk shit about the Flat Earth people, all right? But, like, I think we deserve, they, they deserve at least a chance for us to listen to what they have to say. So I also want to laugh, so let's do it. Yes. People picture, and they got lazy. If the Earth is 25,000 miles in circumference, there must exist a curvature drop of eight inches times the mile when you square the mile. It gets One good. mile means Don't there worry. should be an eight inch curvature drop. Two miles, two times two times eight. It's just 32. Math. That's it's just 32 math. inch drop. Three miles would be a 72 Can't inch argue drop. Math. And this would exponentially continue. Here's the longest bridge in the world. The Danyang Kongchon Grand Bridge in China, 102.4 miles long. There should exist nearly 7,000 feet of curvature drop in that bridge. 7,000 foot curvature drop. Do you see it? It ain't there. Look at the horizon. It's flat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So Andy, the, go back to the name of the bridge. This is what this is why we part of why we picked this. Okay, so the guy, the guy in the video is not only a fucking flat Earth idiot, but he's like, the name of the bridge is the Danyang Kunshan Grand Bridge in China. The Ching Chong Ching Chong <laughs> Bridge. The guy's like, look at the damn Ching Chong Ding Dong Bridge. It's four hundred thousand feet whatever like oh God. like i keep trying like we we're watching this video last night and i keep trying <laughs> to refute what they're saying and on their own terms but, but i'm like wait it dumb. doesn't make sense yeah because it <laughs> it doesn't mm -hmm. there's a one part in the video and this is where jamie and i became uh, round earth tankies when uh they were showing uh well, videos of antarctica well first <laughs> we're getting to that oh well yeah that that's good too okay. well first of all on what you said before like they're saying that there's so much money to be made by like NASA <laughs> and scientists for like propagating How? this conspiracy theory. Right. They're like the budget of NASA is like $16 billion a year. I'm like, do you know what that is compared to the fucking military we, budget? We it's actually like less than 1%. No, but it's even and better like, because the, I remember the, the numbers. It was uh, the NASA was 36 billion. And okay. so, so I was like, oh, babe, let me look up what the world uh, like domestic product or world gross product is. Mm -hmm. right? All the money in the entire world. Yeah. And it is $1.7 trillion. <laughs> so this entire scheme, as Andy pointed out, as we've all pointed out, would take a massive cover up like mm -hmm. to, of people who just inexplicably, you know, want to get involved in a conspiracy to do around Earth. Um, like the m amount of money I did the calculations is like 0.001% mm -hmm. of world GDP in order to cover up the flat earth yeah. reality. Yeah, and they've got this video of Neil deGrasse Tyson, who they hate, obviously. Oh, oh. And, and they're Bill like, Nye. they're like using the CGI animation to like make it rain on him in the background. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, it, like, like, do you think he's wearing a thousand dollar suit right now? You want to like, go to his house and see what it looks like? Like, okay. I I hate to rain on your globe cuck parade, but uh, <laughs> there's something that goes on in conspiracy theory circles where there'll be like an extreme wing and there'll be... So conspiracy theories obviously draw people in through like very reasonable sounding premises and like, why don't we, why don't we ask these questions? Mm. And then it leads you down a narrative that's basically more or less science fiction. Like they start asking questions and giving answers in a way 
And this is something that, you know, scam artists do. Stefan Molyneux does this. It's just a way of stringing certain kinds of gullible people along. Mm -hmm. And even not so gullible people can be brought in. Uh, But one thing that people, uh, these conspiracy theorists like Alex Jones and even Joe Rogan, who believes in a fair number of conspiracy theories, will say about the flat earthers is that this is, these are the crazy conspiracy theorists. Mm. We're asking serious Mm. questions about things that maybe the media doesn't want to cover because the media is controlled by certain interests. So, you know, there'll they'll be the striation of, uh, of like, the, the crazy wing represented by the Flat Earthers and the David Icke people, and then the more moderate, like... And then someone like Alex Jones ends up coming off as a moderate. Right. To <laughs> yeah. So this is, the, this is the danger. But also, a lot of people do are just ready to believe in the Flat Earth, and I, how do you talk to them? I know. And I, I should add, by the way, Neil deGrasse Tyson is famous, probably rich. Most of these scientists make like, I don't know, $60,000 a year. (laughs) Are you really gonna like propagate a global (laughs) conspiracy so you can make $60,000 a year? Or I guess the idea is they like made a fake space shuttle and then they like pocketed the difference (laughs) in what it would would have cost to like make a real shuttle. That's like the only way I can make this math make sense. Like all of these, hold on, all of these scientists (laughs) pocketed yeah, of $36 billion, like all the scientists in the world got a chunk, which would probably be like $40 each. <laughs> it's a very modest grift. <laughs> but uh, there's an, a different element to that, too. And um, you see it throughout this Flat Earth video, which is supposed to just be, you know, similar to what Andy was saying, this um, fringe, but just asking questions sort of compendium of different reasons why we should question the round Earth. But here and there, you'll see pop up the Illuminati eye mm-hmm. oh, like frequently throughout the entire thing. So clearly the people in, that are propagating this flat earth theory are caught up in a whole bunch of other conspiracy theories too, right? It's all connected. It's all connected. And, it's all connected. And I think the way that a lot of these things connect is towards the end of this flat earth video. I would say we'd link to it in the show notes, but we won't. Nobody should watch this. Do not ever watch <laughs> it. We watched it so you didn't have to. But towards the end of it, they're giving the reasons why there would be this conspiracy, which is very interesting, or like why mm-hmm. they believe that this is being propagated. That's always been my question. And what they're saying is that a, what is it, heliocentric world, right? One where the earth is at the center gives us meaning and it makes our lives valuable. And the puppet masters out there, the people who are perpetrating this hoax, want us to be to feel small and feel insignificant. But if we believe that the flat earth is at the center of all of creation, that we can actually have this sort of self-awareness and this power to control our world and to understand things in a way that they want to take away from us. And I think that that right there is an element of so much of this conspiracy theory stuff, which we've been dancing around, we've been joking about, but I think when we get to talking about your pamphlet, we're really going to analyze what this does for people and how Mm -hmm. it functions. I'm sorry I cut you off earlier, babe, because I think it's very important to understand exactly how Sean and I became tankies for the round earth. (laughs) So there were a number of parts of the video that I think really brought us in this journey. Um, The first concerned Antarctica. And uh, you know, the way we understand Antarctica, it is a small continent in the at the southern pole of the globe it's all lies i got uh, documents it's coded like they they have some different ideas about what antarctica is Mm -hmm. babe yeah i mean i keep an open mind on things and i was trying to it was like 30 minutes into the video i was like you know what maybe they're onto something i myself have never been to space i've never actually seen it you know they might be going around literally harassing astronauts like you could say what you want about like you know the u.s space program or whatever but if you're an astronaut you're like straight up 
heroic. You did something risky. You went into space. And these fucking assholes are going into like these astronauts and being like, what do you think this video means? And they're like, fuck you. I went to space. They're like, no, you didn't. And you see this guy punch <laughs> the astronaut. Punch punch it's Buzz Aldrin. By Buzz yeah. Aldrin. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. he was really asking And you know what? It. More power to him. You know, you're an astronaut. You go to space and some fucking douchebag with like fucking greasy hair and all fucking dumpy comes into your office. <laughs> no, and you're and trying to, you think you're doing a normal interview <laughs> yeah. to promote your book about being an astronaut or whatever. Yeah. And this guy accosts you like, you didn't really go to space, did you? Prove it. Prove Boom. it. And like, yeah, he, I don't normally believe in resolving interpersonal conflict with violence, but like this guy really asked for it. But but, but the Antarctica shit was incredible because they're like, everyone thinks it's a small continent, but have you ever looked at it? Has anyone ever actually been there? It's a 200 to 300 foot wall of ice that's impenetrable that represents the edge of the flat earth. Yeah, this is why, because um, you know, the, the problem with flat earth theories throughout history has been why don't ships fall off the edge right, right? right. Yeah. and the yeah. answer for them is because antarctica is actually a ring of oh, ice wow. mm. around mm. the perimeter of the disc that the we disc. all live on yep the disc with uh it's a bubble really uh, uh don't watch it don't get farther into this i want to touch on something that um we've also been flirting with a bit you've mentioned anti-semitism tans mm -hmm. a whole bunch but i think there is a thread within this Illuminati theory and all of these conspiracy theories, you mentioned Jews and 9-11, yeah. that is fundamentally anti-Semitic. Mm -hmm. So this next clip that we have right here um, is gross. Uh, it's from something called the Educational Ministry of Hebrew-Israelite Truth, which does not sound too reputable to me. But uh, we have this clip here to talk about where the kind of end point of these theories can take you. Jewish Khazars are not a spiritual people. They perceive the religion of Judaism as a way to reform society at large. And from Judaism, they created Kabbalah, the black magic occult, and the Illuminati, not to mention their involvement in the enslavement of black America. But before they flocked to America to make more money off of us, they reaped some havoc in Russia. Now, a group of Jews got together under the influence of the Kabbalah and the Illuminati and believed that they were the supreme beings and were to rule the world and ultimately destroy all else in it. You have to start small. So they founded what's called Bolshevism, and they chose Lenin as their leader. Who better to lead them than a satanic Khazar Jew? So from the pure Torah came Judaism, then the black magic Kabbalah, then the Illuminati and Freemasonry, then comes Bolshevism. Now, Bolshevism is a secret society consisting of powerful atheist Jews and followers of them who sought to take over the world. So what's your take on this? Um, and what is its functional role in society, would you say? The anti-Semitism, you mean? Yeah. Dude, I don't know. I wish I had an answer for this. I have no idea. I know that it's everywhere. I grew up hearing a lot of shit that's anti-Semitic, and I don't know how this has spread so damn far, to be honest. I think towards the end of the show, I've got a take on it that I get from a, uh, a, a Marxist theorist named Moshe Postone, who I think puts his finger on a very interesting question, which is, why does modern anti-Semitism so mm -hmm. pernicious, as you said, mm -hmm. but also why is it so adaptable to different things? Mm -hmm. So the Jews could both be these like, these bankers like these mm -hmm. Rothschild capitalists right. but they could also be the Bolsheviks at the same time like mm -hmm. standing behind the scenes and controlling these things mm -hmm. 
I think that there's something important there about these uh, anti-Semitic aspects of it right. that I think um, we, we should definitely unpack. Uh, mm-hmm. But let's get to your pamphlet, because I think that anti-Semitism is, is a part of how to overthrow the Illuminati. You, you get that in there and you isolate it. Mm-hmm. But there's a larger argument at work, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just to start on a very basic level, um, where did the idea for the pamphlet come from and what, who was its intended audience? Yeah. So the pamphlet actually came about because a group of us were talking about, oh, this is why it came about. Because when I came into leftist politics, I still believed the 9-11 stuff. And I didn't, when I when I said this to people, I was shocked that people didn't believe it, to be honest. I was like, you don't think 9-11 was a conspiracy? You don't right. think Bush did it? What do you mean? Right. And they were like, no. And I was like, I don't, I don't understand. I was like, have you seen the twenty dollar bill? Have you seen it? <laughs> but um, yeah, and so it was. And I have to say, I think the way that people responded to me was not helpful because they were just like, that's fucking dumb. It was like, oh God, roll your eyes and walk away, without actually investigating why I, I believed what I believed, right? Right. And so I had to do a little bit of work on my own to sort of figure out, well, if it's not this, then what is it? You know, why did this actually happen? Um, and I began when I did that. And, and it's just it's literally the thing that helped me was reading history, mm. reading the mm-hmm. history of capitalism, yes. reading about how these things developed. Yes. Um, and so when I started to do that more, I was just like, wait a minute, this actually doesn't make sense. And I was like, you know what? well actually people encouraged me then to write something about my own experience uh, of being a teenager and you know uh, believing in this stuff and why I believed it and why I don't believe it and so I wrote that little piece and we put it up somewhere online um, and from there um, other people uh, that I was working with at the time got the idea to well let's do this pamphlet that can you know can be for young uh, you know, young people of color who are living in the hood who believe this stuff because, at, you know, particularly then, I think, and this was like a while ago, this was like at least like eight years ago, but particularly at that time, um, this was the demographic that really was like into the Illuminati stuff, you know, um, and, and into conspiracy theory. Jay Z and Beyonce were satanic, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. Illuminati, yep, yep, subjects. yep. Oh, well, all of uh, apparently it's like. Everybody in the music industry. Oh, if you're okay. in the music industry, you you have some connection to the Illuminati. You Damn. have made um, a deal with the devil on yeah, some level, yeah, right? Damn. Well, there you go. That's right? why my SoundCloud cloud rap hasn't uh, made but, a hit yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not paying off the right people. And then you hear also, like, I always would hear all these stories from, like, random people who would be like, yeah, you know, my boy got a record deal and then this, this, this happened. The Illuminati hit him. So you always get, like, these little bits in there. And, and you know, if, if you're somebody who is just which I think is most people, to be honest with you, we hear stuff and we don't have, we don't filter it. We're just like, okay, this must be true because this person that I know said it. Or, oh, you know, this must be true because I'm watching this video. Like, we just, I think we have a tendency in the United States to we don't ask enough questions. We just believe whatever the fuck we see. And there's a lot of people like this, you know? We don't ask, we don't check our sources. Like, I see people on my Facebook, people I grew up with who post stuff and I'm just like, no, why, why do you think this is real? <laughs> like, why do you think this website is true? You know, like, why do you think it's not, it's like legitimate? But there's no question of like, what is legitimate, um, what is not? And you just don't vet stuff the way that we should. Yeah, I see lefts is posting total bullshit all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And, and well, what I really liked about your piece is that mm-hmm. you didn't condescend to these people at all. Right. You said like some of the smartest people in the hood these days mm-hmm. are into this and you're touching on something, you know, you're getting, you're grasping at something. The world right. is fucked up, yeah. right? It's not a, you know, an illusion that things are screwy, but there's another way to understand it. Yeah. And it makes sense on some level when people start to figure out that the American dream is bullshit, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. especially people from marginalized communities. Yeah. You know, you grow up being told if you work really hard mm-hmm. and like, you know, pass out your mixtape on the street or whatever, yeah. you can succeed and be a big star. And you start to realize that's not true. Mm-hmm. So when you see somebody, mm-hmm. you know, that Horatio Alger figure, whether it's Jay-Z or mm-hmm. Beyonce or whoever, and you're like, what do you have that I don't have? Right. Yeah you start to want to explain it some other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think also it's important to keep in mind that the people that, at least before, I don't know about now, but the people before that were really into conspiracy theories tended to be people who were like, you know what? This whole, like, blame the poor. Sh- I mean, they're not thinking this way, but it's actually a rejection of the blame the poor ideology. Yeah, yeah, you know, that so, is yeah. so pervasive in the United States and has yeah. been for so long. Where it's like, if you're poor, we always, we, it's like, blame the poor for everything, for their own problems. But these are actually people who are saying, but something else is going on right. here. You know, and it's important to note that you can say that, but by believing in these conspiracies, you can sort of be grasping at that, but at the same time still have this contradiction of, like, you know, uh, well, you need to make better decisions or you need to do whatever. You know what I mean? So right. this exists, but but I think it does. It is something uh, important to note, at least. There is a rational kernel within the mystical shell. Yeah, Always, yeah. always. So um, how have you gotten this pamphlet out to people? And what has the response been like? Um, has it been hitting people the way you want it to? Um, like Sean said, like I really, ex- I, I really respect how much respect you give to the people who believe these things and probably because you used to believe them too. It's on an empathetic level. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be dumb, you know? And I, I even saw you or some of your co-authors engaging mm-hmm. with people in the comments and I thought that was really rad. So how, how has that been for you? So I have to say, you know, we made this pamphlet and, you know, gave it out to people that we knew, um, people who wanted it. We put it online and then I forgot about it because I was just like, all right, what is the freaking pamphlet going to do? Um, I was like, maybe somebody will read it at some point. I don't know if it's going to break anything down to anyone. I don't even know who the hell's going to get you know, a hold of this thing. And I totally forgot about it. And I, I didn't go on the website. I still haven't been on the website. Oh, because, we have. Yeah, I'm just, I, I don't look at what is going on with it. But what was interesting to me is that I met a few people um, through the years who have been like, oh, you wrote that? Because, you know, I use that with these kids that I work with who oh, all cool. believe in conspiracy theories. Oh, or I yeah. use that in, like, this youth detention center. Oh, nice. That's what one guy told me. He's like, you know, wow. we have it in the youth detention center and we, you know, all these kids read it and stuff and we talk about it. Oh, I just yeah. met somebody recently who, um, he is a teacher at a, he's an adjunct at a community college in Jersey. And he he messaged me on Facebook and he was like, hey, did you write this thing? Because I use this in my class all the time to talk about why young people of color would believe in this and what an alternative is. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that this is a thing. You know, like, so I was actually really surprised that there were people that picked it up and, and were doing things. Like yeah, that. I was pretty enthusiastic about the pamphlet. I gave it to a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one guy who used to table uh, in my neighborhood with like, black panther black nationalist literature and i said hey you know i've got a bunch of zines if you want i'll just give them to you for free and you can sell them or whatever and i gave him um something about the uh the flatbush it was called the flatbush uprising um about like the these small riots in flatbush you know four or five years ago when uh when kamani gray was was killed that's when uh jumani williams (laughs) himself yelled at me but go on and i gave him overcoming the illuminati and i came back a couple days later and said how how to do what do you think and he's like 
Well, you know, I didn't like the Flatbush one too much, but I really like the Overcoming the Illuminati one. Ooh. I think he didn't read it. Oh. I think he just liked the cover the and he didn't read it. Overcoming the Illuminati. Yeah. So he asked me for more copies of it, and I said, sure. I gave him 10 more copies. Uh, I also had a young coworker at this restaurant uh, that I worked at, and most of my coworkers were, a lot of them were like countercultural radical people who had like radical politics, but they didn't do anything on the job. Mm -hmm. Like that was just where they worked and all of their stuff was activism somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But I worked with one uh, young black cook there who was really fed up with how she was being treated and we talked a lot about um, how shitty the management was there. Uh, and she, we had like the exact same complaints in class politics basically, yeah. but I had read Marx and she hadn't and she believed in Illuminati and I don't. So I had the perfect thing to give her mm -hmm. and uh, hopefully it, it made an impact on her. Mm. So if you forgot about your pamphlet, just remember that other people haven't. <laughs> uh, when I when that intervention first came out, and I know I think all of the co-authors, including yeah. yourself, uh, I thought it was a, an amazing intervention because I again, like we've been saying, it hit all the right points. It directed these real complaints to where they should really be directed, which is towards the abstract system of domination, as mm -hmm. Alex Jones says, that is capitalism, right? Mm -hmm. Which does not operate out in the open. Right. It mm -hmm. seems like it's natural and that it's free. But actually what these people are confronting is a social system that is based on exploitation and alienation. And they're trying to grasp at it because they sense it, but they don't have the words to express it except to fall into this conspiracy mindset okay. where there has to be something blocking me. And as you said, I think quite rightly, there's a lot of consequences to to conspiracy theories in terms of practical activity. Mm -hmm. It's not only that. <clears throat> there's a lift yourself up by your bootstrap sort of thing. Mm -hmm. There's the rabbit hole thing where people fall down into yeah. like all these videos and they don't do anything except watch more and more 9-11 videos to get right. more and more data on stuff. But ultimately, these theories, these conspiracy theories, if there really is this all-powerful, maybe Jewish, maybe not, uh, conspiracy, this cabal that's been running society for thousands of years. I'm not saying shit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, P.S., full disclosure, uh, my grandpa was in fact a scientist who played a major role in putting fluoride in all the water so <laughs> you know you might want to take what i say about the illuminati <laughs> with a little grain of salt uh we just lost our john bircher audience the the outcome of it is paralysis ultimately because mm -hmm. if there is this all-consuming all-powerful mm -hmm. network of people that spans anywhere from 200 to 500 to 2000 to a million years <laughs> interdimensionalism what do you do what do you, do? you can't do anything well, like you, you literally noted, cannot do anything like you noted in the pamphlet uh what people do do about it often manifests in these lone wolf acts of violence right which are pong. also not very productive yeah. and it's a good way to get one person killed mm -hmm. and not make an impact on the world but before we get too far into discussing um the many excellent uh, impacts mm -hmm. of the pamphlet. You want to give us a brief outline of its actual content and what's in it? Oh, sweet Jesus. I haven't looked at this in years. All right. So. I mean, I, I read it yesterday. <laughs> so, so, so you want to give us a brief outline? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh, Oh, it goes. Remind through, her what she wrote. <laughs> it goes through like the different elements of the Illuminati conspiracy, mm -hmm. like theories. the different the different conspiracy theories. Yeah, the, the uh, where where the Illuminati actually came from, like yeah. the original actual society in the world of these Enlightenment thinkers and people sort of in the rising uh, bourgeoisie class who wanted to overthrow the feudal aristocracy mm -hmm. and become this like enlightened capitalist democracy quote-unquote democracy or whatever um it goes through like the reasons people have to believe this 
And then it goes through the reasons why it is wrong and not helpful. Mm -hmm. And then tells you basically, here's a better analysis mm -hmm. to understand what's wrong with the world. And I think, it, I, I think it's very effective how it goes through thing by thing. Um, I wish that I had read this before I tried to read the Moisha Postone. Because <laughs> That's it really, my bad. It really does uh, do a good job describing some Marxist concepts that are very abstract and confusing mm -hmm. without using Marxist jargon. Which is very important, by that the way. That is not the part that I wrote. Okay, <laughs> but but still, like yeah. it's important because like if you start off with Moisha Postone or if you start off with Marx himself, mm -hmm. it's going to be probably like a 90% chance that you stop within, you know, the first couple paragraphs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What is this crap? So we need a way to popularize these ideas and mm -hmm. put, take the jargon out and put them into like vernacular, you yeah. know, so people can actually understand it. Like which what the, the hell does this shit really mean? Right. What is alienation? Yeah. What is abstraction? Yeah. Right. Reification, yeah. you know, value, right? Yeah. Marx has a lot to teach us, but uh, not always the clearest writer. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that as somebody who you know, went to an Ivy League college, but did not study Marx there. Mm -hmm. So like, if I find it hard to understand, I feel like most people probably would. This is, I agree with you 100%. I still have a hard time understanding Marx. The amount of time that I put into reading Marx mm -hmm. when I had the opportunity to do so and the time to do so was uh, substantial uh, just to get a grounding in the entire theory and understand all this jargon and understand how things connect together dialectically. Yeah, and not everybody wants to read that shit. It's fucking boring. I sit down <laughs> to read Marx and I want to rip my fucking eyeballs out. If you hate Marx, try Hegel. Like, oh God. Oh, <laughs> oh. I don't even want to go there. But, but no, but you know, like, and I think this is something that I'm really critical of the left with because you know when i first came into politics i had people bombarding me with fucking read marks you have to read this you have to read that and i'm just like dude i don't fucking know what any of this is saying what the fuck are you talking about you know and it's hard when you're not uh, most most americans we don't fucking read when i got out of first of all i barely read in college and when i got out of college i read like maybe a fucking newspaper but I, I wasn't like reading all the time. It's not something that you're always doing. And so when you're not in the habit of always reading and then somebody says to you, well, in order to be a good leftist, you have to read right. all these books by all this guy three volumes Marx. of Capital yeah. and the Grundrisse. Uh, and you're the, just like, yeah. what the hell? Like, I am not capable of this, yeah. you know? But, but once you have read this stuff and you do understand it, mm -hmm. I think you have a very special gift that you can choose to share with other people. Mm -hmm if you so choose and if you're good at explaining it in a understandable way which is not easy yeah so I that's like one reason why i really liked this fan i appreciate that you call it a gift but it's not like the secret and it's not like santa claus yeah. you know it is actually a, a method of analysis that I, I know you're being hyperbolic right but like it is this method of analysis that can synthesize and understand why these conspiracies happen why they are arising but ultimately incomplete mm -hmm. um and so Yes, those of us who have gone through that work and have done that do owe it to other people to try to popularize this shit. Mm -hmm. And again, this is why the pamphlet is fucking yeah. great. And every time like you confront somebody who hasn't uh, seen this theory or understood it before, don't immediately tell them to go read all three volumes of Capital. Exactly. Like start them off yeah. easy, you know, like fucking start work. Start them th off by fucking talking to them. There you go. Yeah, As a real human being, person. right? Exactly. <laughs> and that's go to the why... beach with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, I mean, that's, been part of my mission for a while because mm -hmm. you know i was a writer before i was a leftist and yeah. i was like oh what am i gonna write about i guess the shit around me like sex and mm -hmm. parties and music and 
boys or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, when I became a leftist, I already <laughs> had a writing career. So, and, and I was already pretty good at writing for a mainstream audience. So part of me was like, oh, what authority do I have to write about this shit that I'm just starting to learn about? But also, you know, I've read some tracts from some very learned Marxists mm -hmm. who maybe went to grad school and they're basically unreadable. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Shout out to learned <laughs> Marxists who went to grad school. No one like that in this room. So like whenever I start to worry that I'm not one of them, I'm like, you know what? I have a thing that they don't have, which is the ability to write stuff that people want to read. That is a good thing to not be like them. Uh, I'm just Yeah. <laughs> and as Big Bill Hayward once said, I may not have read Marx's Capital, but I have the Marx of Capital all over me. So uh, there is something intuitive about the whole thing. Jamie, I think that uh, as a gothic American, mm -hmm. you had a uh, particular passage in this pamphlet that you found very evocative. Shout out to the lit crit guy, by the way, who is into gothic Marxism. Uh, lit crit guy, we are going to have you on the show because Jamie is your biggest fan. But go ahead with the quote. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just wanted to spotlight a few quotes from the pamphlet that I thought were very good. And you really, you guys took the best parts of Marx and gave them an update and made them even better. Marx 2.0. And this quote um, gives a good idea. Marx reloaded. Like, like it, it takes uh, some of Marx's imagery was very evocative, right? Like he was writing around the time that uh, Gothic literature was really big. So he used that to make it sort of more interesting for people and more mm -hmm. evocative. And I think you've taken that and given a really good update on it. So let me just read it. <clears throat> Capital is not a conspiracy of aliens. It's an alien we create. It's not just Jay-Z or George W. Bush. We have all sold our souls and our bodies to the devil, but it is a devil we create with our own hands. It can do nothing without us. Our bodies are its arms, its legs, its reproductive organs, and its brains. Therefore, we have the power to end it. Throughout history, poor and working people have struggled to limit how much labor capital sucks from them. They've tried to change the rules of the game or stop playing it altogether. Hell yeah. And I really like the way you took that uh, that imagery of the vampire and updated it with aliens, because <laughs> as we all know, aliens are quite big on the conspiracy theory okay. scene. Yeah. And also in the non-conspiracy scene, in the Marxist scene, because I think Comrade Communicator would be pretty upset that we're platforming the Passadism of Fools on this episode <laughs> with David Icke and Alex Jones. But I digress. Indeed. And, and it's just like a really good metaphor for... Capital, because it mm -hmm. is kind of hard to understand it. Mm -hmm. uh, like, a what? It's like, it's not a thing. It's not money. It's not the bosses. It's mm -hmm. not the ruling class. It's just this complex web of relationships mm -hmm. between people and commodities or the objects that embed all these different abstract concepts of labor and shit. Um, and it, it's basically everything but us, only we're part of it too. Mm -hmm. It's like growing inside of us so that's pretty cool and we create it and mm -hmm. it's fucking us we reproduce it every mm -hmm. time we go to work every time we go yeah. shopping every time we go home even right because the home is also a commodity that's what's i think powerful is that when you get to this level of abstraction that marx managed to get himself to you do get into something that is beyond any individual capitalist beyond any individual mm -hmm. person, beyond even the workers and the capitalists themselves, mm -hmm. you get to the law of value, which is a process. It's this moving contradiction, as he calls it. And that is beyond the, um, the imperatives that that imposes upon humanity, is beyond the control of every single person, whether they're a worker, 
a capitalist or a politician even, right? And that, I think, is sort of what people are grasping towards is that there is this force that exists that is all powerful like let's be clear like if you don't go to work you will starve and you Mm -hmm. will die or you'll at least be homeless right it is all powerful it sets these incentives and these imperatives for us Mm -hmm. and we do not have control over it there's a real reason why people have these conspiracy theories and you mentioned it before right like Mm -hmm. with people in the hood who are like you know why hasn't this happened to me like i'm poor like why the fuck what's stopping me from doing this right and it's clearly there's something there right but it's way more complicated than that there's a small cabal of people out there who are like controlling everything so yeah i really like uh the resistance to blaming bad people or even bad ideas for Mm -hmm. something that's completely structural yet hidden Mm -hmm. um because i think a lot of the rhetoric we're seeing today with this mainstream way or increasingly mainstream wave of left populist sentiment Mm -hmm. in the u.s really stops at blaming the elites, the millionaires and the billionaires, the one yeah. right? percent, or, or the or finance, or the, the bankers. bankers, or the big quote unquote big corporations, mm-hmm. which like I don't know, Bernie and friends tend to focus on. Mm-hmm. We hear from a lot of social democrats who just want to return us to like the golden age of capitalism, right. where these people are sort of kept on a leash and everything works That'd out. Be like Norway, yeah, right, right. yeah, just without the like the Jim Crow type aspects, you <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah. We'll take those out. But that's like it's like no, it go it it goes further than that, and. Uh, the, the invisible character yeah, of yeah. Uh, of capital yeah, is the, really important. And I think you describe it in a really good metaphor when you guys write, quote, gravity can't be identified and touched, but it can be felt in the relation between planets. Similarly, you can't put your finger on capital in any one place, but it is present in the relations between people and asserts a powerful force on them. Illuminati theorists feel this, this force at work in society, but identify it incorrectly. And then a oh, little yeah. further down, you say... To end this situation, we will have to do more than attack individual members of the bourgeoisie. Mm-hmm. We will have to attack the system of capitalist social relations as a whole. Mm-hmm. Boom. Looking back at this stuff, which again, I haven't read it so long, but like looking at it, I'm just like, yeah, you know, we have to stress this. Like, it's not about the individual. So even when we're like railing against Trump, you know, because so many people are like, well, Trump is, you know, we just get rid of Trump. No, if we get rid of Trump, everything stays the fucking same. It doesn't change, you know? And so... Looking back at this and reading it, it just sort of uh, reminds me of the fact that, like, we have to always be talking about systemic issues and how things are systemic. Because when you don't when you you don't get it anywhere else, you don't learn that shit in school. You don't learn that shit from talking to your neighbor or your mom or whoever, because no, we are so individualistic. And in some ways, it's understandable. Right. We go through the world as individuals. So we're not thinking about how all these things connect and you know the systems that are in place um but yeah i think really you know breaking down when you're talking to people just whoever every day you know you come across people you're talking to them about what's happening politically which i think that is a conversation that i think comes at least what i've noticed comes out comes up more now increasingly than ever before like i went to the fucking bank and some dude my banker was talking to me about Jordan Peterson and I'm just like, <laughs> oh my God. what the fuck is going on right now? Was you know, he but, pro or against? Oh no, he loved him. Oh, okay. Loved him. But Quit that bank. Yeah, but you know, but I had a good conversation with him and then I was like, look, you know, like you're, I didn't tell him this, but in my head, I'm like, all right, you're clearly fucking dumb on certain <laughs> issues. Like but that lawyer guy. <laughs> I, but you know, I told him, I was like, you know what, why don't you, as a place to start, watch this documentary, The 13th. Not that I think that is like the greatest documentary in the world. I have lots of critiques of it. However, it does a good thing, right? And it's a place to start with certain people. I mean, if you got a Jordan Peterson motherfucker telling you things <laughs> like, 
hey, black and Latino people, and he's Latino. Black mm-hmm. and Latino people are the ones that do all the crime. So uh, I believe that, okay. you know, it's like, you have to break things down for people in a way that's like digestible. You can't direct them to go, go read fucking capital. Go right, read right. this. No, like use that stuff that's out there that we, we, you know, criticize the liberals and we do, you know, we're always critical of everyone, but I'm like, if the left would just fucking stop for a second and look at what's out there and see how you can use it. Yeah. Everything has pieces that you can use. Yeah. It, it's always a bad moment. And I think, most of us have had this moment at some point in our political development yeah. where you look at the you look at the left you realize that they're right, right about most things and then you look at who these people are who are right about the things and you're like oh god yeah like what Why? are we what are we gonna do with you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well you mentioned populism yeah. right populism is an interesting thing because populism can be either right or it can be left it is again similar to conspiracy theories are grasping at the reality the systemic Mm -hmm. structures but without actually getting there Mm -hmm. so if you're a right populist you believe that there's a cultural elite cultural marxists or Mm -hmm. professors or the liberal elite or, or politicians or the state or whatever it is that's holding down what would otherwise be a just and decent system for everybody if you're a left populist you believe very similar things that there is a banker elite out there that there's the Koch brothers that Mm -hmm. there is just like corruption and greed Mm -hmm. that's standing in the way of us having like some sort of you know what would otherwise be a decent life for everybody Mm -hmm. and where we leftists differ from populists is that we go farther than that and say it's not enough to blame the millionaires and the billionaires right. and the 1%, but that they are part of an actual system that we need to confront, you know, directly, understand yeah. and confront directly. So, you know, I agree with you guys. Like, we have to start where people are at. Mm-hmm. And I think left populism is way better than right populism and certainly better than yeah. liberalism, right? But it is our task, I think, to take people who are already sympathetic to that bankers, you know, 1% mm-hmm. shit and try to pull them over to a more systemic critique. Otherwise, we're not going to get anywhere with left populism. And uh, just to push back a little bit, we were talking about how, you know, it's not about individuals and Mm -hmm. it's systematic. Um, There's a a danger in that in absolving individuals. uh, And uh, as bad as it is to just focus on the bankers or uh, or the billionaires or the elites. He's going to stand Jamie Dimon right here. We also have to recall, we, we also have to keep bringing up um, that there is a tension between ourselves and our landlord and ourselves mm-hmm, and our mm-hmm. bosses. Mm-hmm. And just because they're a small landlord, they only own one building or two mm-hmm. buildings, and just because they only own or one or two. They own a small business. Yeah, right. If, just because they're a small business doesn't mean there's not an exploitative relationship there. Mm-hmm. And that relationship isn't necessarily immoral. They're not doing it because they're bad people. Mm-hmm. But there's a tension there that can only be resolved through yeah. a, a deep questioning and reevaluation of of value in and general class struggle and that's not a populist message though the, the right. populist message is that the small capitalists are the good ones right. that's what mm-hmm. alex jones will say yeah i think so that is really interesting it reminds me a lot about the conversations i have with students about police right um so you know in my classes i try to bring up policing a lot we talk about what what is policing as a system and the thing is i made the mistake um when i first started teaching of just standing up and railing against the police and being like, I fucking hate all cops and fuck all that, you know? And and the thing is, and even when you have to remember, you know, I'm in a classroom with majority students of color who are from New York City, and a lot of them have family members who are cops, and you're going to yep. get that. You're yep. going to get the pushback of yep. like, well, you know, my uncle owns a, a small business, right. or, you know, my brother is a cop, or this. And I think it's also important, or what I have found is important when you're talking to people is like look 
those individuals we're not saying that they're horrible as people they're not like evil to their core you know and every landlord you know is not, my aunt is a fucking landlord yeah, like you know sure. she owns a fucking uh, yeah. her own house one of the few ways but, in new york city to actually survive is to buy like a three-family house yeah, and live yeah. in a basement exactly. because yeah. if you're like the, those are the only two choices under capitalism right. you can be exploited or right. you can become an exploiter exactly. and that's the american dream and right? so you know it's i think it's important to point that out and to be like look i'm I don't like your family. I'm not telling you your family is like all evil. They could be great neighbors. They could be great friends. They could be a great uncle, but they're a part of a system that is fucked up. So let's talk about that system. Right. Um, And I think a lot of times on the left, we just like, we get so caught up in our own shit and wanting to be, the smart guy in the fucking room all the time that we just want to rail at everybody and be like, how did you not understand this? And it's because fucking you're talking to people who they know individual people who are like this. So when you say these things to them, it doesn't fucking make sense. You know, you have to present it in a way that fucking makes sense. That said, it is very funny when Elon Musk gets mad on Twitter. So <laughs> I suppose it's a bit of a dialectic. <laughs> He's a closet posadist anyways. He's a socialist, as he said, mm. or an anarchist. I forget where he ended We'll up. see. So I just had a couple more questions from the pamphlet, if I may. Yeah, so uh, I see you get like a, a, almost to the end, really, before anyone brings up the C word or even the A word. You know, those words being anarchism and communism. Oh, I was thinking of different C and A words. Yeah, I'm like, what's the part where you just start, like, just do cunt in all caps for the entire paragraph, that was really riveting yeah, stuff the right capitalist there. capitalist cunt class must be overthrown. Those assholes. Those That's assholes. the A word. But no, yeah. so uh, I, I think we've had a lot of conversations on the left mm-hmm. lately about what kind of words we should be using. Mm-hmm. I often get scolded for calling myself a libertarian socialist because mm-hmm. libertarian means something else now. And it's, it's just, it, it's confusing to people. You can't reappropriate that word once it means what it means in America, blah, blah, blah. It's a great provocation. Um, yeah. <laughs> and there are people who find it, genuinely alienating Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. there are people who have really bad associations with communism even if you tell them you know we're not the bad kind we're the anti-state kind historic things like my friend like i have a friend in uh who's in dsa with me Mm -hmm. who her parents her family's from vietnam yeah and they were uh, fighting they were fighting the Viet Cong Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. war and her grandpa had a horrible experience where they lined up a bunch of people and shot every other one and told the Mm -hmm. survivors to like tell everyone to stop fighting the Viet Cong. So they came to America and growing up, it was always like the communists were the boogeymen, you know, yeah. it was like finish your vegetables or the communists are going to come get you. Yeah. And if DSA had been called like democratic communists of America, she might not have joined, right. but she always considered herself a progressive. And, mm-hmm. you know, she got into Bernie Sanders, joined DSA through that, learned that Bernie Sanders isn't even a socialist. He's a social Democrat. Mm-hmm. And now she's like pretty far left with, the rest of us right. on the far left of DSA who are like having debates about what role electoralism mm-hmm. should even be playing. But like, I don't know that she would have joined if we had communist in the name. Like yeah. what's, um, how, how did you decide whether to use those words or how to use them? Yeah. Well, I, um, this was actually written. That section was written by someone else, not by me. Um, and I would have disagreed with using these words. Um, and then the pushback was, well, you have to be honest about your politics. And I'm like, you can fucking be honest about your politics by explaining what you fucking believe mm. instead of putting a label to it. Because right. I think it's very true, you know, like communism has been marred through history because of the shit that has people have seen happen and mm-hmm. heard, you know? And 
I mean, when you throw that word out, people are automatically kind of like, what the fuck? When you say anarchism, pe- I, you know what I hear all the time from people? Well, you just want chaos because people mm-hmm. think anarchism means chaos. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think we need to be aware, especially in this moment right now. Perhaps eight years ago it was different where th- there wasn't like a lot of pe- you didn't have a group like DSA, you know, for example, which the is deep like state anarchists. I think they are. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like that, we, we only tell you that name once you join. OK, yeah, like, so I'm not you know, I think you should be very upfront about your politics by saying, hey, you know what I believe? I believe these fucking things. I think, you know, it's fucking wrong for us to be, you know, exploited every day going to these fucking jobs. I think it's wrong for us to be, you know, exploited by our landlords and all these people. But but I think um, it's really important, I think, today to explain your politics. But don't be so attached to these fucking yeah. words, you know, these these labels. Yeah. And we are doing something different. Right. What we're doing now is somewhat new yeah. right like what my friends and i in dsa mm-hmm. are currently thinking about mm-hmm. isn't just communism in the classical sense you mm-hmm. know it's how do we incorporate intersectionality how do we incorporate not just Marx, not just the old thingers but women and people of color into right. our political ed curriculum how do we account for that in organizing mm-hmm. um how do we come to some sort of happy medium between um total anarchy and this like authoritarian state and mm-hmm. we don't totally have a word for that yet yeah yeah this is true it's also know? important to remember that the people who are going to build communism are not the people who call themselves communists today <laughs> yeah. Deadass. Yeah. like and that's historically correct if you look at even you know the upsurges of like communist or socialist revolution throughout the country they were mm-hmm. being you know it was produced by the working class people who um maybe had this sort of vague sense that something was fucked up and um couldn't put a name to it but they still acted within the class struggle because that's at the end of the day too what separates leftist theory from conspiracy theory Mm -hmm. is that we understand that day in and day out there is a class struggle it might be popping off or it might be quiet right but Every day you go into the fucking on the shop floor or mm-hmm. into the fucking service sector job, whatever it is you do, right? There is a struggle there between you and your boss. There's a struggle mm-hmm. between labor and capital that exists, whether it's evident or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really hope that like what always what I've seen continuously happen with leftist groups doesn't happen with DSA mm. because people need fucking somewhere to go who are thinking about these things, who are looking around, who are saying, hey, you know, like something's up here and I want to I want to learn more. I want to talk about this. I want to understand, yeah. you know. And we- you guys have both kind of touched on this, but mm-hmm. you've talked about this historical moment that we're in. Mm-hmm. And it is true now that the S word, right, not shit, but socialism yeah. is now way more acceptable than it has been in the past. It's certainly in my lifetime. Yeah. So we have a lot of room to move around at this moment in time mm-hmm. and to get these people who are maybe into Flat Earth or Bilderberg or whatever mm-hmm. or god forbid anti-semitism and bring them to our side because we actually have a movement now that is growing right. that is in the streets that is doing things mm-hmm. yeah we really we don't want to be a counterculture yeah right and yeah. we're very aware of that like we mm-hmm. want to make these ideas as mainstream as possible mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. not everyone's going to join dsa and yeah. like we don't think that well most of us don't think that we're like some revolutionary vanguard that's gonna like right. do it for everyone else so like I think Andy had a funny moment actually when he met some of my DSA friends in the park and he had just been talking to one of his anarchist friends about something. Uh, Before I I say that story, I'll say that the the anarchists in the last couple of years have made one strategic improvement, which is a lot of them are shifting from the black block to the gray block. But uh, the the, the gray block is when you like you dress to not draw attention to yourself. Mm. Like you dress like like a college student or. But then um, how will anyone know that they're anarchists? 
Well, exactly. The, the idea is not to say that we're this like rival army or this mm-hmm. like cohesive political faction, especially when you're very small and mm-hmm. not yeah. and not like very streetwise. Uh, but to, to to present that like we are we are regular people, and also there's a some security in not dressing like a criminal. Uh, <laughs> but so yeah, at at, at Mayday, um, I was hanging out with some anarchist people, and they were like, you know off to the side complaining about everything and i was as well that's what i specialize in that's probably mm. why i'm an anarchist that's why you're here and then two dsa I you were a liberal uh and i'm an anarcho-liberal i guess <laughs> two dsa people came up and were like just really friendly telling us about the medicare for all event they were doing and uh you know maybe cool if you came out here are the speakers this is why we think it's important hope to see you there and they didn't just like put a newspaper in our face or they yeah. didn't like they were just trying to talk to people like regular people would and it was really refreshing and of course when they walked away my anarchist friends complained about them well shout out to ben and andrea you guys are very nice you know they're over here like fucking flyering for medicare for all and they're acting like normal people why because they're talking about something that directly impacts Mm -hmm. their fucking life not some theoretical shit that no one understands Mm -hmm. right that i'm pretty sure half the left doesn't fucking understand all this theoretical shit but they pretend to Mm -hmm. and so you know when i when i first came to the left and i had all these ideas oh you know let's do a fucking food program on the block once a week or, some, or once a month something and i was told no because that's like economistic or that's <laughs> just like you're, you're not actually doing anything you're just being like a social services agency or you're just like whatever a billion different critiques right and maybe that's not the best thing to do although i still think it's important to feed people because hunger is a real fucking yeah. issue black but, panthers did uh, yeah, a lot of good work with that you know but um you know i i think it's important to keep in mind that like ultimately what is being a leftist yeah you can have all your theory and all your everything that you read and be a super smart guy but you have to be grounded in the reality of people's fucking lives because that is actual struggle leftists always want to talk about struggle 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 that is fucking struggle Mm -hmm. people are struggling every fucking day be Mm -hmm. connected to that shit like let's talk about that because we are fucking connected this is collective Oh, sorry. That's yeah, my yeah. No, that's great. So, <laughs> so, so just to wrap things up then, uh, everyone needs to be more like DSA. <laughs> uh, everyone start dressing normal, wear khakis <laughs> and polo shirts. And communism, or as we'll call it, like, you know, just just the good shit, is the <laughs> spaceship to get us off of this prison planet. Oh, God. I can I can hear all the criticisms now, all the things that the left is going to say. Fuck yeah, well. That's what you're here for. We don't give a flying fuck about any of them. I like you guys. We're going to get expelled from Spartacus League. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm burning my card right now in uh, anticipation.